as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word. May we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's very pretty dress, Aurora. Yeah, probably just as well we didn't get that one wet. Yeah. Oh, I love Mark's eyewitness account of Jesus' life. In a little while, uh, we're going to have some. We're going to light the candle for for Aurora and give give. Um, parents and godparents some prezzies for them and the godparents are going to receive a copy of a gospel and it's going to be Mark and one of the reasons I choose Mark's gospel for that is that I just love it um, it's, it seems to me to have been written by someone who, who really wants to get on with it to keep the action moving as you read through it it's, um, it's immediately this and straight away that and then this and then that and it, it really does keep moving you can hardly catch breath as you read through it, as Mark jumps from one scene to another. And, and the start of it, I think, sets the tone like that. None of this baby stuff for Mark. You won't hear anything from Mark's Gospel read at any of the carol services you go to over the next couple of weeks. Because he, he wants to get on with what Jesus got up to in his, in his active ministry. So he starts... Not really at the beginning. We're going to have the beginning over the next couple of weeks. But when Jesus is 30, actually almost at the end of his life on earth. And as well as keeping the action moving all the way through his book, Mark is very efficient with his words. It's the shortest gospel. But he packs a lot of meaning into everything that he writes. And the first verse that um, Andrew read for us this morning, a really good example of this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. No introductory paragraph or prologue for Mark, just the beginning. But what's it the beginning of? The good news. You see, everything that Mark writes is intended to be good news. The beginning of the good news. Everything else is going to be... Oh, come on. Excellent. Good. I, I wonder what you think about when you think of good news. Perhaps hearing about the birth of a baby like Aurora or about a job that you've just interviewed for, or someone you love has recovered from an illness. All kinds of possibilities of what good news might be for you. I want to just take a moment. What, what, what would be good news for you today? What would you like to hear good news today? What would it be about Mark was absolutely convinced from the time that he spent with Jesus that he had good news for everybody. And that good news was about a person, that person that he had spent time with. What he writes, he saw. This is an eyewitness account. Mark is convinced that there is good news and it's about Jesus, the Messiah. And even those two words carry a whole load of meaning. 
You see, Jesus' name means God saves. And Messiah means chosen or anointed. So Mark's good news is that God has chosen someone to come and rescue us, to save us. Every single one of us and the whole of creation from the darkness and the pain and the evil that can invade our lives. This is as good as good news can get. And the thing is about this good news is that it's not God's plan B. We know this because God has been telling his messengers, the prophets, all the way through the Bible, all the way through history, that he was going to send a rescuer, a Messiah, someone he'd chosen to come and save us. That's why, what was the second Advent candle for? The prophets, exactly. In memory of the prophets, like Isaiah, who pointed forwards towards Jesus, the Messiah. And Mark reminds his readers of that by quoting from Isaiah, who had shared God's promise that he was going to send someone to prepare the way for his chosen one. And then, Mark makes this really bold claim. He says that that promise that Isaiah had shared had been fulfilled in the work of John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer who got people ready to hear Jesus' teaching. And so Mark is claiming that Jesus is Lord, the one that God sent. Now, we've had a great celebration, are having a great celebration today of Aurora's baptism. And as part of that, Aurora's parents and godparents were stood up on here and Ellie asked them some questions on Aurora's behalf. And they were asked, do you repent of your sins? And they responded, I repent of my sins. And you might recognise that language from what we read about John's ministry of baptism. He preached, Mark says, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. But what does that mean? We don't use words like repentance or sin very much in normal conversation, or at least I don't. You might have different conversations to me. So what do they mean? Well, repentance is all about change. It's about changing our direction and changing our mind. It's about, we've been going this way, but we're going to change. We're going to turn around and we're going to go this way instead. Part of that is, is feeling sorry for the things that we've done wrong, but it's more than that. It's about, it's about making a decision to turn round and head in a different direction, to live differently. Now, that doesn't usually happen quickly or all at once, but at any time we can make that decision to say to God, Lord, I've got myself in a mess again. I need your good news. I need your help. I want to repent and turn my life around. Will you help me? And as I've been talking about repentance, so, of course, I've been talking about sin as well. That other word we don't use very much, or if we do, it's Weight Watcher points or something. But no, sin is the stuff that messes up our lives. Those things that 
that falls short of God's best for us. The lies, the gossip, the envy, the dislike, the selfishness, the lack of love, the dishonesty, the lust. It's the attitude that puts ourselves at the centre and pushes God away to the edges and perhaps totally away. That's what we've rejected on Aurora's behalf this morning. Because of Jesus, our rescuer, the, the effects of all that rubbish, all that mess can be washed away. Washed away from our lives because we're forgiven. It can be as if we'd never done any of them, that, that sin had never infected us. We can be free of guilt or shame. And that freedom and cleansing, it's symbolised for us by the waters of baptism. That's why we do it. Because we're washed, we're cleansed, we're free. But there's even more. There's even more. Because Mark goes on, he shares what John said to those coming to him. What did John say? I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And yes, we've had a baptism of repentance this morning, but it's more than that. It's more than that. When I prayed over the water, I said, Father, we ask you to bless this water that those who are baptised in it may be cleansed in the water of life and filled with your Spirit. The baptism itself was in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Afterwards, we prayed that Aurora may be daily be renewed by His anointing Spirit. And the welcome I said, by one Spirit we are all baptised into one body. Are you getting the picture? Yeah? John came with a baptism of repentance and Jesus added to that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is the one that the Christian family now uses. Every Christian who is baptised with water is also baptised with the Holy Spirit. Everybody who comes to Jesus for the baptism of repentance also gets the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Well, well, so what? What does that mean? Well, again, I don't know about you, but I do have to say that I am not always very good at doing what I intend to do. Is that just me? There's a, a nervous laughter out there. It's okay, I'm not going to ask you to tell, give me examples. I want to live better but I don't always do it. I might... Oh, Janet's giving me a clap at that, thank you. <laughs> I might mean to turn away from the things I know are wrong, but, but sometimes I get dragged back into them if I'm left to my own devices. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us to our own devices. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us to our own devices. The Holy Spirit helps us to change, to become more like Jesus, to put God not at the edges, but at the centre of our lives, to let go of control of our own selfishness 
and to live our lives for and with God. And, and when we do slip and fall, which we do, the Holy Spirit prods us, pokes us, provokes our conscience and brings us back to repent again and then assures us of God's love and forgiveness for us. More than that, there's more again, more than that though. The Holy Spirit flows, overflows from us to those around us, flows through us to those around us. Now, last week when she was speaking to us, Ellie shared with us a picture she'd had of of a river of the Holy Spirit flowing out from the front of the church building here, down the central aisle, and out the doors into the community. There was loads about that that was really powerful and really special. I know the weather was lousy last week, so those of you who weren't able to make it last week because of the snow and the ice... Go back, look at it on YouTube or Facebook or listen to the podcast and hear what Ellie came to share with us last week. I really, really recommend that because I think it's going to be important in the future for all saints. And, and part of that is building on that this week. You see, as I was preparing for what I was going to say this morning and having, having a reading on baptism, out of baptism, I do have to say that's a bit of a gift to a preacher... So that was, that, was, that was easy. But I was, I was always struck by the fact that Ellie felt that the water was flowing from the front of church here out, from the front here, where the baptismal pool is. And what struck me as I was thinking about this was that sometimes I wonder if we can fall into the trap of thinking that the Holy Spirit is an optional extra in the Christian life. Nice for some people. Something for the keenies, perhaps. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. Right here, at the beginning of Mark's account of the good news of Jesus, is the work of the Holy Spirit, linked to the thing that unites us all, that is common to all Christians. Our baptism. All those who have received Christian baptism with water have also been baptised with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit flows from the baptismal pool down through the church. It's common to all of us. The Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. The Holy Spirit is in us and with us. It is only by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit that we can live the life that God has called us to. It's only the Holy Spirit causing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control to grow in our lives that frees us to live free of sin. To take the place of all that nonsense that nonsense which just makes us feel rubbish anyway. This is the faith that we have baptised Aurora into this morning. This is the Christian faith. We've said this morning, this is our faith. And you see, it's as we live this faith out as individuals, as a church community, that we will see, I believe, that river flowing more and more widely into the lives of those around us, into the life of our community. 
And that will bring cleansing and refreshing, healing, life-giving water of the Holy Spirit to more and more lives. That's what we're going to see in this church and this community over the coming months and years. We'll be picking more of this up in the new year. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that Ellie um, gave us that opportunity to respond, those who wanted to, to come and stand in the stream of the water in the central aisle and and receive prayer. Um, Again, I know that quite a few folk weren't able to be here last week, so I wanted to build on that in the sense of, of a response, not to try and reinvent what we did last week, but to build on it. So... I'm going to ask the musicians to start taking their place. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Um, We're going to do something slightly different this week, but linking this idea of our common baptism and our call to minister the Holy Spirit to folk. Um, While we're singing, those who would like to, there's no pressure here, but those who would like to, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come and bend down and put your hand in the waters of baptism And maybe just put it on your hands or sign yourself with the cross. Just as a reaffirmation of your baptism. A reminder of that water of the Holy Spirit's place in your life. And it's going to flow through you. Now, I've also got the font. So I'm going to put some of the water from the pool in the font here. So that if the stairs are difficult for you, or you think getting down and up again from the baptismal pool is going to be tricky for you. Don't let that stop you. There'll be water in the font as well. You can do exactly the same thing. So... If you're comfortable to do so, would you you stand? Father God, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of baptism. Thank you for Jesus who brought that baptism of the Holy Spirit to us. That as your people... your baptised people, you have given us your Holy Spirit. As we respond to you this morning, I pray that you would refresh us, renew us and equip us to overflow from our lives to others. And it may be that as you're here this morning, this is the first time you've heard this good news from Mark and you want to take that step and say, yes Lord, Come and clean me. Come and sort out my life. That might be part of you wanting to come forward and just putting this water on yourself. So he say, come Holy Spirit, come and minister to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.